Hello, my lovely people, and welcome to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. (laughs) This week, we will be talking about who threw the Barbitals in Mrs. Fletcher's chowder. That is a name and a half for you. (laughs) Season four, episode 12, first aired January 3rd, 1988. And the IMDb summary reads, when Amos's sister and her in-laws descend upon Cabot Cove, Jessica hosts a dinner party with homicidal results, leaving the finger pointing at the sheriff's sister. So let's get into the trivia. There's actually two facts that we have this week. One is that a Spanish dubbed scene from this episode appears in Knives Out from 2019, which also involves murder at the theoretical festive gathering of a dysfunctional family. Now, Knives Out has been on my list to watch. Do not judge me. I will watch it. (laughs) It is already 2022 and there is a Knives Out 2 coming as well. So I got to see it. I got to see it. Um, especially now that I know that there is a Spanish dub version of this scene. I absolutely have to watch it besides the stars that are already in that movie. And the second piece of trivia is the title is an allusion to the Irish folk song, Who Threw the Overalls in Mrs. Murphy's Chowder, written in 1898 by George L. Griffer. So there, there's a little pub quiz trivia for you. <laughs> now, let's get into the returners. So we have four. The first one is Colleen Camp, and we will recognize her as Dodie Rogers from Crossed Up, Season 3, Episode 13. She was the wife of one of the brothers who were the son, so the daughter-in-law, of the murder victim. And in this episode, she plays Deputy Marigold Feeney, and this is her last appearance on Murder, She Wrote. Although I think that this character should have been a recurring character, but apparently not. Okay. A little salty about that. Anyway, (laughs) then we have Jeffrey Lewis, who we will recognize as Lester Grimshaw from No Accounting for Murder, also season three, but episode 19. And in this episode, he plays Kenny Oakes. We then have Barbara Rhodes, who we will recognize as Barbara Stevenson from Birds of a Feather, season one, episode four. She was the secretary who identified Howard which was soon to be Jessica's son-in-law, who was a drag performer, identified him as the murderer of the club owner. So we'll recognize her from that. In this episode, she plays Flo Oaks. And finally, we have Guy Stockwell, and we will recognize him as Dorn Von Stotter, from Night of the Headless Horseman, season three, episode eight. And he was the stable manager who had been stealing money from the university to help fund the search for his daughter's murderer 
because the school would not advance him any money. So he decided to take the money himself so that he could pay for a private investigator to find out who murdered his daughter. When in fact, he really just needed to call up Jessica Fletcher because she figured it out for free. Okay. (laughs) And in this episode, he plays Elmo Banner. So let's go over the whole cast and then right into the episode. So we have, of course, Amos and Seth, because this is a Cabot Cove episode. We also have Deputy Marigold Feeney and Deputy Grover. We have Flo and Kenny Oaks. We have Ed Bellamy. We then have Elmo Banner, Winnie Tupper Banner, and Harold Banner. Now let's get into the episode. So we open up with the arrival of the Down East bus arriving and a woman that we later find out is Winnie getting off the bus. Now she is being followed by a well-dressed middle-aged man. We later find out that this is Ed Bellamy and he is a private investigator. So Winnie gets off the bus She then finds a taxi and asks to be taken to the sheriff's office. Now at the sheriff's office, we have Amos who's on the call with a woman who says that she needs help getting her cat out of a tree. To which Amos says, the deputy that I have that used to do that quit on me. And I'm sure that this is a reference to If it's Thursday, it must be Beverly and the deputy Jonathan Martin, who was uh, really good to pet cats of older women. So (laughs) every day of the week. (laughs) But no, remember, he quit because he won the lottery. So, yeah, that makes sense. And I think that is a reference to him. So great call back on that one. So once Amos gets off the phone with this person, he starts struggling to type a report. The phone then rings, which he has to pick up. He is alone. He is alone in the sheriff's office, (laughs) which is not good. But if you don't have anyone in the cell, then I guess, and apparently Cabot Cove doesn't have a lot of crime where it's okay to just have one law enforcement officer on duty, unless his other deputy sheriff was... um, on the road, which is possible. So anyway, the call was from Seth, who was inviting Amos to go out to lunch. But as they're on the phone, Winnie walks in and Amos is like, Winnie, oh my God, what are you doing here? And hangs up the phone on Seth without saying what's going on. And Seth is just like, hello, hello. Okay. (laughs) So... We have his sister. He's like, oh, did you drive here? Mind you, we find out later they came from the state of Kentucky. Okay. Kentucky, which is mid east. Yeah, mid east, but several many states away from Maine. Okay. And he's like, did you drive up here? I'm like, what? from Kentucky? Okay. And he's like, oh, is Elmo in the car? Like, who else came up with you? And she's like, no, he's not in the car. I left him. And so Amos is like, has he been mistreating you? Amos, you know that he's been mistreating her, but okay, whatever. Um, 
she's like, I just, I had to go. I had to leave. Um, I didn't know where I could go, but I knew that I could come and count on you, right? Because Amos is Winnie's older brother. Surprise, right? So he's like, of course, I have plenty of room. You can stay as long as you need to stay. It's not a problem. Um, The only thing is like, I'm really shorthanded today, so I can't really spend time with you today, right? And probably further on, but he put an ad in the paper for, a deputy sheriff. So I guess he expects that by the end of the week or even by tomorrow that he'll be able to get some relief, right? So Winnie is like, oh, well, that's fine. I'll be okay by myself. I can just walk by the sea cliffs and think about, you know, the dissolution of my marriage and where the state of my life or whatever, like a real guilt trip. And so Amos like rolls his eyes. He's like, oh my God, like, how am I supposed to leave you alone like this? So he is like, I, you know what? I think I have an answer for you. Let me see what I can do. And I'm just sitting here like, well, you're shorthanded. Why wouldn't you just ask her to answer the phone for you? I don't know if she has typing skills and she can type up reports for you. Like, she can actually be of help. Like, I don't understand why he missed out on this opportunity because you were going to hire a stranger. Your sister needs to not be alone right now. You could just have her there helping you out, doing stuff that a civilian can do, which is type up a report and answer the phone. Like, (laughs) missed opportunity here. But he then takes her to Jessica Jessica, it has a deadline and is trying to get her the last four chapters done. And she has no idea how the book is going to end. And basically, Amos pawns Winnie off on Jessica, right? Because he's like, she can't be alone at a time like this. She's going through it with her husband. And Jessica's like, I'm sorry to hear that, but I do not have the energy to deal with that while I'm trying to finish this book. But then Winnie is like, oh, I see there's a picture of you and a handsome man there on a dock. And Jessica's like, yeah, that's my late husband, Frank. And Winnie then says, oh, the way he looked at you, like I I knew it had to be, you know, him. It's been many, many years since Elmo's looked at me like that. And so Jessica's like, oh, crap. I can't like kick her out of my house now. Like I can't be rude like that. So she's like, um, you know what? How about we speak over uh, a cup of tea, uh, you know? And so when he's like, oh, well, if it's okay with Amos, he's like, y'all have a good chat, puts his hat on and runs out. Like literally like two steps out the door as he is like, bye, thanks. Okay. <laughs> so... Now Jessica is uh, is stuck with her. But then we go back to the sheriff's office, right? And he walks in and Deputy Grover is there. And the sheriff's like, oh, you know, what what's going on? And Grover's like, no, it, it's fine. It's fine. Um, but you have a visitor. And the camera pans over and it is Marigold Feeney. Okay. She is there to apply for the deputy position. And so Sheriff Amos is like, um, that ad's not going out until tomorrow. 
Marigold is like, listen, I went to the newspaper for a sneak peek because homegirl is on it. Okay. She's trying to get her a job in law enforcement. So she's not going to let any grass grow under her feet. Okay. (laughs) She was at the newspaper the day before, and you know, she had to have a connect to be able to see an advanced copy. So she's probably like a regular like, uh, no, nah, I'm looking for the right job. I, I want to be in law enforcement. I got skills and experience. So Amos is like, well, I'm looking for someone who has law enforcement experience. And Marigold is like, well, I was a meter maid in Augusta. Now, she has a Southern accent, right? So I'm going to guess that she means Augusta, Georgia, But there is also an Augusta, Maine, which I did not know prior to actually having visited Maine. I didn't go to Augusta, but yeah, but I'm guessing based on her accent that she means Augusta, Georgia and not necessarily Augusta, Maine. But I don't know, like maybe she does mean Augusta, Maine and she just happens to be from the South and has worked her way up north and that was her last law enforcement assignment was she got a job in Augusta, Maine. But I think that's interesting that you don't know exactly which one she's talking about. And fun fact that Augusta, Maine is actually the capital. Okay, so Augusta is the capital of Maine. Yeah, thank you, Google. Um, So (laughs) even more interesting. So yeah, there's that. So Amos goes on with the questioning. Well, not even the questioning, but like trying to put her off, really, because he doesn't seem too keen about hiring her. So basically, we get down to the nuts and bolts. And Marigold is like, um, yeah, I'd hate to think that you were biased against me for being a woman, Sheriff. To which Amos is like, no, I had a woman deputy. And she was great. I was really sad when she got in the family way, read pregnant, but her husband was glad because she was finally home where she was supposed to be. And as soon as it leaves his mouth, he's like, oh man. (laughs) He's like, "Uh, can you start tomorrow? (laughs) And Marigold is like, I can start today. Okay, because she has her own uniform which we'll discuss in a second, okay? Um, Because she has whatever uniform she had from Augusta, but you'll see, well, we'll discuss it now. So you'll see, like, she has a Cabot Cove, um, what is it? Like, iron-on patch for the sheriff's department on this uniform that she already furnished herself, okay? Like, Where did she even find that? (laughs) It is so her uniform looks nothing like the sheriff's department uniforms. Okay. For one. And two, like she has this patch on the side and I'm like, where did she get this? Like, is that at like the local tourist spot? (laughs) You can buy these. Did, did Amos just have them on deck? Like (laughs) anyway, So Marigold is hired. So yay for Marigold. And she turns out to be a real treasure. Okay, a real treasure. 
and an asset in this episode. So we're back at Jessica's house with Jessica and Winnie, and we find out a lot from Winnie, right? So we find out that Amos is a great big brother. He's a very sweet man, but he's not too swift. Now that's a shame when your own sister's telling people in public. <laughs> like I know y'all good friends, so you know that I'm telling the truth. He ain't, mm, okay, mm, no. But, I okay, I'll save that for a little bit later. But Winnie is saying that in reference to she really wanted to speak to somebody about her situation with Elmo, but she didn't think that Amos would understand. And I don't know if I agree with that in the sense that as soon as she said to him, I've left Elmo and I need, I I came to you because I didn't know where to go. He said, you can stay with me for as long as you need to. He didn't call Elmo. He didn't try to call the family. He just said, I got you, sis. So I don't think he cared why you were leaving him, just that you were scared, clearly. You ran away from him and you came seeking help from your brother and he was willing to give you that help. So I don't, I think maybe she meant that maybe she wasn't ready to leave, leave. You know what I mean? Like she just wanted some time away to figure things out and plan to go back. And that maybe Amos wouldn't understand that, which I could completely agree with because if you told your older brother who clearly cares for you and wants to protect you, that you are being abused. And we find out in this conversation, um, both physically and mentally abused, to be honest, and emotionally abused, that you may decide to go back to this person, that he would not understand that. Yeah, I think many people would have difficulty understanding your desire to go back under these circumstances um, or having an issue believing that the person has changed and you're now willing to go back. So I can understand if she means it like that, that if she decides to go back, that he would not understand it. But her leaving him, he's like, I, I think if she explained to him what she says to Jessica, he would be like, yes, of course you can stay with me. You can't go back to that man. Like, no, like he is clearly unstable. And if he's not willing to get help and get said help and get better, you need to stay up here. Like, we'll get you set up. I got plenty of rooms in my house. You know, we can get you a job and whatever. I think he would be understanding under those circumstances if she needed a safe place in order to extract herself from Elmo and his family. So we also find out that, like I said, Elmo is abusive. He has severe mood swings and that when he is upset and agitated and angry that he pushes people around. And if she doesn't get out of his way, then she will also be pushed around, which it sounds like maybe more than just pushing around. Um, And that in times like that, she has been injured, but she blames herself for not getting out of the way in time, which is extremely sad. 
in these circumstances, well, period, that's extremely sad. And that she still, even though she has run away from him and has made up in her mind, and we'll see, she has made up in her mind that she is not going back to him. She is, she is dead set on that, that she's not going back to him, that she still, although realizing this was a toxic situation and she needed to get away from it, still was giving him the benefit of the doubt that it wasn't his fault that um, he was going through these severe mood swings and in turn ending up injuring her and that it was her own fault because she should have known better. And that's extremely sad and upsetting. But the only solace we have is that she has gotten herself out of this situation. So we're, she's at least safe right now. We also find out that because of Elmo's behavior, that Winnie has developed an ulcer. And in her haste to leave Kentucky, we find out that's where they lived, Kentucky, that she forgot her ulcer medication. So Jessica says, oh, I know someone who can help you since it's prescription. And she takes her to Seth. Now, once they get to Seth's office and he is introduced to Winnie and told that she is Amos's sister, there is definitely some flirting going on between these two. And I feel a kind of way about it. Now, Seth is a widower, right? His, his wife, we know his wife passed some years ago before we met him. But Winnie is still married. Like, we're trying to get her out of that marriage. So cool. But like, mm. All right, you real, real friendly. <laughs> but there, she's definitely comfortable with him, which is helpful because Jessica is now pawning her off on Seth. And he's like, oh yeah, of course. You know, I can call in the prescription, not a problem. And so Jessica is like, yes, yeah, so I'll leave you to it. I got to finish my book. Deuces. <laughs> Now, she doesn't run out as fast as Amos did. (laughs) So apparently Seth got time today. All right. Because he's like, I'll show you around and basically keep her company for the rest of the day. So he calls in the prescription and we then see Ed, the private investigator, watching from afar and we see Seth and Winnie come out of Seth's, well, it couldn't have been Seth's office. It has to be the pharmacy and then go into a restaurant for lunch. So the next scene, we're back at the sheriff's office and Amos is showing Marigold around. And the funny thing is, so she's listening. She's like, okay, got it, got it, got it. And Amos is like, okay, so here are the cells. And the most important thing that you have to remember when locking somebody up or putting someone in the cell, and she's like, wait a second, wait a second. She pulls out her memo book and is like, okay, go ahead. He's like, remember to lock the door. (laughs) (laughs) Which, listen, some people got to be told, okay? It does not automatically lock because in more, probably at the county jail there or at a more, at a bigger sheriff's 
office, they may have doors that sell doors that automatically lock. So it's not a stupid thing to tell someone, like remember to lock it because perhaps you thought that they would automatically lock because they're jail cells. But also you don't want to get stuck in there. So (laughs) that works both ways. So as they're finishing up there, they go out into the front at, well, Amos leaves her in the back. It's like, look around back here, get yourself familiar with the office. He then walks into the office and all of a sudden, Elmo, Flo, Harold, and Kenny bust in through the door. And Elmo goes straight for Amos and like grabs him up by the collar, demanding to know where Winnie is. And the other three are literally trying to pull Elmo off of Amos. And they're like, he's the sheriff, like calm down, Elmo, like stop it, stop it, stop it. So Marigold hears this. She comes out, draws her gun and tells them to freeze. Now, Amos pushes his way through because Elmo has now let go of him, right? Because there's a gun pointed at him. And Amos is like, put that down. This is my brother. Put that down before you hurt yourself. This is my brother-in-law. Now, I don't appreciate the tone that Amos had with Marigold. Two reasons. One, how the hell is she supposed to know that these are people that you know, okay, Like nobody in town knows who these people are. Jessica doesn't, didn't even know you had a sister, it seems like. So how are you getting spicy with her for seeing you being attacked by somebody? Three people who are trying to get him off of you and unable to do so. So she draws her gun, which I'm assuming she has a license for. So has some knowledge of how to use Okay, I don't know if she needed it as a meter maid because I don't know how gangster (laughs) Augusta was, either Georgia or Maine, right? But I I don't appreciate that tone because how is she supposed to know who these people are? You come out, you see that. What was she supposed to do? And two, the fact is you shouldn't be talking to your deputy like that in front of civilians because... That's not a good look for her because how is she supposed to remain, how is she supposed to retain the respect that comes with being a law enforcement officer if these strangers who she doesn't know, doesn't know who they know, doesn't know if they're townspeople or whatnot, you're showing that, you know, she doesn't deserve to be respected And that she made some mistake when she didn't. She properly read the situation that you were being attacked and that she had to do something about it. So Amos, I don't appreciate your tone. So the next scene, we're at Amos's house and they're trying to figure out where everybody's going to sleep. And these in-laws, not even his family, okay? Because Winnie is his family. These people are strangers to him, to be absolutely honest, okay? And there is nothing that they did in this episode to make me think that he would ever consider them family for real, you know? Because there are some in-laws that are so close, they're like family, right? Like there's no in-law because it's just, yeah, we're family because of marriage, but like we're real family, 
right? These people are strangers, okay? They're, the only reason these people are in his life is because his sister married their brother and that's his brother-in-law. That's not his real brother. And he could take him or leave him. To be honest, each and every one of these people he could take or leave. So these strangers are in his house and have the nerve to divvy up his three rooms, three rooms, and have him sleeping on the couch. I would have been like, what we're not going to do, what you're going to do is get out of my house. That's what you're going to do. You're going to get out of my house. And I think that if Winnie had told Amos the full truth about why she left Elmo, he would have never let that man in his house and would have never suggested that they sit down and talk with each other. He would have ran that man out of town. I promise you. And I wish that, well, we wouldn't have had an episode if she had done that. But in real life, I wish that she would have told him so that we wouldn't have even gotten that far because when Marigold busts up out that the cell section of the sheriff's office with the gun, Amos would have been like, yep, y'all all going into this jail cell. Okay, you're not going to run up in my town, in my office, and yoke me up. That's what's not going to happen. And I'm going to call up the DA's office and I'm going to press charges for assaulting a law enforcement officer. So kick rocks, rest of the family, and find accommodations because Elmo's going to jail. Okay, but that's just, that's just me. Okay. (laughs) That's how this should have played out. But Murder, She Wrote, we got to get through a full episode. So Amos ends up having to sleep on the couch. So as they're waiting for Winnie to come home from a day with Mrs. Fletcher, question mark, because that's where that's all Amos knows is that he drops her Winnie off with Jessica. But we know as the audience that Jessica drops her off with Seth and Seth took her out for the day. So Seth and Winnie are being watched by Ed, the private investigator, and he sees that Seth is taking her to the door. They're laughing. They're arm in arm. It's just, it's very relationshipy. And so they knock on the door. Amos gets the door. And Winnie is like, oh, hey, you know, we had such a great time at the hotel. And of course, Amos is like, excuse me? And Seth is like, no, they're like at the restaurant for dinner. Like, okay, why are you taking my sister to dinner? And Seth has no idea why this is a problem. Now, I don't think that Seth knows that Winnie is married. I don't know if that came up. It definitely didn't come up in the conversations that we saw, right? And she may not have talked about Elmo at all because she was trying to let those memories go, right? And make it easier for her to file for divorce, by removing herself physically and eventually mentally and emotionally away from Elmo. So then we hear Elmo shouting in the back, like, who's that? Is that Winnie? I hear a man's voice too. And so Winnie is like, Elmo? And and Amos nods his head. She walks in. Seth goes to step in. And Amos is like, shoo, and closes the door. 
And then you hear argument inside as Seth is about to knock on the door and he thinks better of it and leaves, right? Because it is a situation of family issues and he's not a law enforcement officer. Now, if the roles were reversed and it was Seth's family and Amos was the one bringing Seth's sister home and laughing and everything and heard what sounded like just based on his voice, an abusive husband, Amos would have, I would have expected Amos to like knock that door down and be like, what's not going to happen is something like this in my town. But Seth being the doctor and Amos being the law enforcement officer, I don't blame him for assuming I'm going to stay out of this family business. He's a law enforcement officer. He'll be able to handle it better than me getting involved. So I respect Seth for staying out of the family business as a non-law enforcement officer. If he was law enforcement, I would be like, shame on you. Okay. Shame on you. Because if something goes down, that's on your hands. So we then go inside and Winnie and Elmo are arguing, right? And the whole, his family is standing around. Amos has Winnie's back, basically. And she's like, you're talking crazy. I'm leaving you. That's why I left. And he's like, you're not leaving. She's like, I'm getting a divorce. Flo was like, oh my God, no one in our family has gotten a divorce. Like, well... You probably should have, because it seems like terrible situation. This is toxic and abusive. She needs to get away. So Elmo then says, the only way you're going to get rid of me is if you kill me. And Winnie is just like, like her face is twisted up. She is determined and she doesn't say anything. She just walks away and leaves the house, right? So they all hold Elmo back because Elmo's trying to run after her and do God knows what. So Winnie runs out the house. She apparently can't figure out how to get to the hotel because she never got to the hotel, right? So she doesn't know where the hotel is. She knows that Jessica's working on her book and we don't know how far Jessica lives from Amos, but apparently Seth lives close enough to Amos Because remember, his office is also in his house. So she had been there before. So she was able to find it. She's banging on the door. Seth comes to the door and was like, oh, I thought you were an emergency patient. And she's like, no, um, you know, Elmo's at the house. We got into an argument. I I can't stay there. Um, I, I needed to get away. And she explains that this is the only place she could get to. So Seth lets her in and she's like, um, hurry up and lock the door. I, you know, I heard a car behind me. I think that Elmo followed me. Right. So Seth is like, all right, fine. You need to stay here. I get it. That's fine. How about we talk over a pot of coffee? And she agrees. She volunteers to make it. So he's like, okay, go ahead. And then he calls Jessica in desperation. Right now, before he does, we see Ed, the private eye sneaking around and he ends up knocking over a planter. But Seth is like, oh, it's probably just an animal or whatnot. And 
Winnie is like, yeah, an animal named Elmo, but he kind of plays it down. And in fact, it's not Elmo. And I think that if it was him or a family member who was really trying to get to her, it would be more than someone just knocking over a planter uh, or hearing something fall. Like he would be banging on the door trying to break in the window or something. He wouldn't be sneaking around, you know. So Seth calls Jessica in a state of desperation. But Jessica is like, yeah, she went to you for help. If she had come to me, I would have taken her in. But she went to you. So that's on you. And Seth, he is concerned about the rumor mill in that town and him being single and this being a woman, specifically a married woman, staying in his home, even though he has multiple rooms, that, you know, the rumor mill is going to be Uh, really bad. And also that that may negatively, he didn't say this, but in the long term, negatively affect his practice, right? But it could work the opposite way in the same way that Jonathan Martin, if it's Thursday, it must be Beverly, that detective, that deputy sheriff, right? It may work that people in Cabot Cove are more willing to go to him because there could be lonely women who are trying to get a chance with the doctor. So it could work in your benefit, but nobody actually finds out that she's staying there. So it doesn't matter either way. But Seth has no choice but to let Winnie stay there. So the next scene, it's the middle of the night and the phone's ringing at Amos's house. So he gets up because he's on the couch, gets up, answers the phone, and it's a call for Elmo. And we find out later it's from Ed, the private investigator. Amos refuses to wake up Elmo because Elmo is a terrible, disgusting, trash person who is extremely violent. And of course, he's not going to wake this man up. So after announcing that he is Sheriff Amos Tupper and asking who the heck this guy is on the phone, the person on the other end, which we know is Ed at this point, hangs up. So the next scene, it's the next morning and we're at the sheriff's office and we see Deputy Grover struggling to type a report and Deputy Marigold cleaning her gun. And so when Amos walks in. He's like, oh, hey, what are you doing, Grover? And he's like typing a report to which Amos is like, why are you typing a report? And he's like, because she, meaning Marigold, refuses to do so. And I'm like, well, if she she wasn't here, like y'all were down a deputy. So you had to type reports before. Like, I don't understand. One, why you didn't just hire a civilian to do that? And two, why is he incapable of writing reports when he would have had to write reports before they had a third person? Because we always saw Deputy Andy, the the redheaded one, right? He was always typing reports. So, and he was out there on patrol as well. So I don't understand why Grover is deficient, okay? (laughs) Honestly. So then Amos get some coffee. He takes a sip. He's like, oh, this is awful. And Marigold is like, I don't make coffee either. So I'm like, what? who was making terrible coffee before she came? Like who made that terrible coffee? Y'all should be used to terrible coffee because she did not exist before 24 hours ago. 
Anyway. <laughs> so Marigold finished cleaning her revolver and she like spins it around her finger a few times, <laughs> holsters it and it's like, I'm going to go out and, you know, score me some traffic violators. I'm like, um, Marigold, I was with you. I was with you, girl. I, w- I was rooting for you. But I'm going to need you to have better gun safety. Just point blank, period. Okay? That was too much. Too much. Okay? <laughs> so after Marigold leaves, like, after, like as soon as she walks out the door, Amos is like, well, where did she get a car from? Or a vehicle? And Grover's like, she furnished it herself. And come to find out, it's like a motorcycle. <laughs> now, we don't see it. We just hear it. And on the closed caption, it says motorcycle engine revs. So it's either a motorcycle or a motor scooter. Okay. <laughs> I guess that was also something that she had in Augusta. <laughs> Girl, all right now. And it probably had sheriff's plates that we still don't know where she got them from. <laughs> The same place she got the, the iron-on sheriff's uh, patch. So Amos then calls Jessica, and Jessica is feeling completely relieved. She finished her book last night, and she was inviting Amos over for breakfast, and she tells him, well, I invited Winnie as well, and she's on her way. And Amos, Amos is like, well, if she's on her way, where does she spend last night if she didn't spend it with you and Jessica is like I will explain when you get here and so Grover the deputy is like oh interesting I'm like sir you're supposed to be pretending that you're not listening you're too obvious because (laughs) the sheriff puts the phone down and looks gives him the stank eye (laughs) like stay out of my business (laughs) I bet not hear this on the street So Amos then goes over to Jessica's house. So now we're at Jessica's house and she made like pancakes and everything. And I'm like, when did you have time to do this? Just amazing, right? (laughs) And those pancakes look good, good. Okay, look good, good. (laughs) And so it's Winnie, Amos and Jessica. And Amos is then told that Winnie spent the night at Seth's in a separate room, you know, but she grown like if she, she also has a husband. So like, I can't like, do you boo? I I can't get on that track. Sorry. But Amos is like, how could you sleep at his house? He's a bachelor. (laughs) Like, okay. Seth is not a sex crazed maniac okay (laughs) I think it's okay but when he is like oh don't worry I locked my door what like what at what point did Seth put out that he was a danger to her you know what I mean like there are some guys out there that you look and you're like I am uncomfortable okay you may be a nice guy but I am uncomfortable Seth didn't give off any of that. So, and Amos knows him as a friend, you know, whether they're, you know, joking with each other and poking fun at each other or, you know, legit rah-rah for each other. He knows Seth. 
And you know your sister. Like, why would you think that Seth would be a danger to your sister? And Seth wouldn't be a danger to any woman, but specifically knew that that's your sister. So why would you even think that she would be in danger? That's concerning, but whatever. So Winnie is like, oh, don't worry. I locked my door and I drew my blinds because like Elmo was lurking around last night. And Amos is like, no, he never left the house. I definitely would have remembered that. His snoring kept me up all night. So he was definitely there. And so Jessica is like, you know what? How about I plan a dinner party and, you know, your family can come over. (laughs) Winnie's like, you mean Elmo's family? That ain't my family, girl. Exactly. Distance yourself so you can get that divorce and move on. Okay. So Jessica is like, yeah, you know, I think the way I treated you so shabbily yesterday, not being able to spend time, uh, I think this is the least I can do. And so Winnie's like, no, you don't have to go out of your way. You don't have to go through all that trouble. Amos, on the other hand, is like, yeah, yeah, you can make lobster and clams and cranberry cake and that good old Cabot Cove chowder that you make. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, he always eaten. <laughs> If there is food involved, he's like, do it. <laughs> I don't care how much time it takes you and, or any of that. I appreciate the offer. And the answer is going to be yes, if it involves food every single time. Okay. <laughs> That's who Amos is. So it's set. Jessica is going to have a dinner party for the Banner family that night. So now the next scene, we're at the dinner party and Elmo's family is insufferable, okay? Flo, Harold, and Kenny are insufferable. Elmo spends the whole time quietly sulking. So, you know, he's just distasteful, but he's not being outright ungrateful and borderline disrespectful to Jessica, to Winnie and to this whole, and to Amos as well. So Jessica being the ever ready hostess and Seth pulling up the rear um, are trying to get this together. They're not leaning into the negativity of the Banner family. They're trying to make this the, the best situation they can, right? So Jessica asked for a volunteer bartender Kenny volunteers, but Flo is like, no, Harold will do it, right, Harold? So, okay, she, like I said, disrespectful and rude. So Harold's like, yeah, that's fine. The first person at the bar is Kenny, and he's asking for a double bourbon on the rocks, which Harold makes in a short glass. So we then find out that Elmo is outside Amos goes to get Elmo so they can get this dinner started. And he sees him tussling with Ed. We find out that he owes Ed money. But in response to this request for the money that he's owed, Elmo then proceeds to yoke Ed up and like shake him like a rag doll as Amos runs over and tries to break them up. Thankfully, Ed is able to get loose and he runs off. 
And Elmo is like, never get involved in my business. I'm like, you should have let Marigold shoot him in the knee. <laughs> Put him out of commission, not die, but just out of commission because he is a terrible person. And just disrespectful. Like, this is your house. This is your town. You are the sheriff. Anyway, so everyone goes inside. The first course is the chowder. Uh, Elmo asks for another bourbon. And as Flo, he asks Flo to get it, is going to the bar to get it, she sees Kenny with a glass. Kenny is her husband, right? And she says, that better not be an alcoholic beverage or strong or whatever. And he says, it's ginger ale. And she walks off. He walks off. Seth is like, what is even going on here? These are just terrible people. (laughs) Can I get my night back? (laughs) So Seth goes to help. Jessica in the kitchen because the lobsters are ready. And then we hear a scream and it's Flo and everyone who was sitting at the table is passed out. Now Flo was not affected because she did not have any of the chowder. But Seth checks everyone out and he's like, okay, it appears everyone's asleep. Let's get them up. Let's get them walking. Let's get them talking to basically get, I guess, their blood flowing again. So whatever's in their system will work its way out, right? Then he goes over to Elmo and he tells Jessica to call the ambulance. So the next scene, we're in the hospital and Flo is being a trash person accusing somebody unnamed later specifying Winnie as having poisoned Elmo, like convinced, tricked him into coming to Cabot Cove where her brother is the sheriff and she could kill him here. And I'm like, she could have poisoned him there and then ran because nobody would have come looking for her. Okay, (laughs) Elmo's the reason everybody came to Cabot Cove. She ran off not to draw him to come. She probably didn't even think that he would have the wherewithal to realize that she was gone because he was so doped up all the time. So Flo kick rocks. Anyway, so Seth comes out and he's like, basically Elmo didn't make it. And the family is like, well, did he, he died without saying anything or without ever waking up? And Seth is like, no, he opened his eyes for a few moments. Um, and they're like, did he say anything? It's like, yes. And they're like, was it a name? Like, what, what did he say? <laughs> Seth is like, uh, no, it wasn't a name. It was an obscenity. To which Kenny laughs and is like, yeah, that sounds like him. So at this point, Flo blames Winnie in earnest. And... Amos says, you know what? No, let's not do this. I saw Elmo fighting with a stranger out in Mrs. Fletcher's backyard last night or tonight, I guess tonight. And I have my deputy out on an all points bulletin looking for him. So the next scene, we are in Jessica's backyard and we have Ed searching with a flashlight for something when Marigold finds him and tells him to freeze because she's going to take him into custody because he's the person they are looking for, right? 
and he does not even pay her a bit of mind. And she is a whole pistol, like straight up revolver, a very large revolver pointed at him and she's in a uniform and he just pays her no mind. Well, that was his first mistake. Okay. (laughs) His second mistake was when she approached him, he pushed her. She then flips him over and begins to handcuff him and read him his Miranda warnings before he even realizes what's going on. And he starts to complain and she tells him to shut up and he is stunned into silence. Okay. (laughs) Like, honestly, she has a gun and she is in uniform and you're like, get out of here. I don't care. And like the utter disrespect, like, is it because she's a woman? Clearly, clearly it had to be because she was a woman, perhaps her Southern accent as well. But she was like, you know what? No. You're not going to do that. Okay. <laughs> she was like, not today. <laughs> so the next scene, they're in the sheriff's office and Ed is in a cell. Amos goes back to speak with him. And we find out that he is a private investigator from Louisville, Kentucky. And Amos is like, why were you fighting with Elmo? And Ed says, well, I was hired, but he didn't pay my expenses. And Amos says, why were you hired? And Ed says, well, to tell his wife, he was wildly jealous and thought that she was messing around on him. And Amos is like, well, why were you in Mrs. Fletcher's backyard? And he says he lost his wallet in the yard. So he was looking for it, right? And you know, there, there's some back and forth. And Ed is just like, yeah, can I go? Like, honestly, you can check me out. Like, I don't care. You know, just, just look me up. I'm a real person. I'm who I say I am. And you can't stick a peeping charge on me because no one was home. I'm like, "Mm, how'd you know no one was home? Yeah, sir. Uh, they can. So anyway, But Amos is like, yeah, well, the fact is your client was murdered last night. So I don't think it's really a peeping charge. And Ed was like, whoa, 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 whoa. He did not owe me that much. Just airfare. Like, I'm not out here killing people. So Amos is like, yeah, we'll look in. Like, where's his wallet? And that's when we find out that he does not have a wallet. I'm assuming because he lost it in... Jessica's backyard during the struggle with Elmo. So Amos is like, yeah, so you're going to wait here until we figure out who you are. Have a good night. And they leave. So as Ed is protesting, Marigold runs her baton over the bars and ends up hitting his finger. And now he's all messed up, right? (laughs) Like that was a get you back. Okay. Not only did I embarrass you, by showing you that you could not literally push me around, but I am still in a position of power. So get it together. So the next scene, we're in Jessica's house with Jessica and Seth. And we find out from Seth that there was phenobarbital in the chowder. And Jessica's like, well, I don't even keep that in the house. So it had to be brought from by someone in. So 
Seth is like, but like, who could have done that? And Jessica says, I think I have a good idea. She then goes upstairs where Winnie is just getting out of bed and starting to get ready for the day. And we find out from Winnie that Elmo and his family own 10 drugstores. And Elmo, although the baby of the family, is the one who owns everything. His mother, he was his mother's favorite. So the mother left all 10 drugstores to Elmo. Kenny, who is the brother-in-law to Elmo, runs the gen- is the general manager. Flo, who is Elmo's sister and Kenny's wife, she runs the cosmetic departments. And Harold runs pharmaceuticals. Now, Harold is the oldest brother, but he is a half-brother by way of their father. So the mother, who it appears inherited and ran the drugstores gave them to Elmo as opposed to Harold, who was not her biological son. So Jessica tells Winnie that there was phenobarbital found in the chowder. And Winnie says, well, that's what Elmo takes to help him sleep. He, he never goes anywhere without it, right? Because they're his sleeping pills. So... Jessica then goes down and speaks. I think Amos comes in at that point. And he says that he didn't find any pills and Elmo's items when he packed them up, right? And while they're talking, Seth sees Marigold in the yard. When Amos sees her, he's like, oh, yeah, that's one of my deputies. She's looking for something she's not going to find. And I'm assuming he means Ed's wallet. Well, she does find it, okay? (laughs) And it's in fact says that Ed is a private investigator licensed in Kentucky. Now, while they're there, the coroner calls and he speaks with Amos. And we find out that Elmo died from an overdose of phenobarbital. Amos says, then it was the chowder. But Seth says, but no, that doesn't make sense because everyone who Elmo died after eating the chowder, but you and the rest of them only fell asleep. So Jessica says, well, that means that someone gave Elmo an extra dose. How did they do that? And then the question is, well, where did they get it from? Right? Because phenobarbital is a prescription, right? So then Seth comes to the realization that Winnie's ulcer medication also contains phenobarbital. So when Winnie comes down, they explain the situation. She brings up the fact, not about her ulcer medication, but when that comes up, she's like, oh, actually, I was going to ask you, Seth, if you could get me another bottle. And they're like, why do you need another bottle? And she says, well, mine broke last night in the bathroom. I cleaned it up. You know, I got the glass and everything up and I put it in the trash. And Jessica's like, yeah, I took it out this morning for the trash man. So there's no evidence of it whatsoever, right? And so then they bring up the fact that there was phenobarbital in the ulcer medication. She's like, you guys think that I killed Elmo? And Amos is like, no, of course we don't. But some people could come to that conclusion. So we need to figure this out. 
And that's exactly right. Because it's not about what they think. It's about what the district attorney thinks. It's about what the jury thinks, you know? So he's like, yeah, okay, we still need to figure this out. We do not believe that you did this, but it's not looking good. It's not. (laughs) So at this point is when Marigold comes in and she finds Ed's wallet. So Amos goes to the office, the sheriff's department, to release Ed because he is who he said that he is. And we find out from Ed that Winnie was not cheating at all, but Elmo refused to listen to what Ed had to say and showing proof that Winnie was not cheating. He was just he had made up in his mind, Elmo, that when he was cheating and he gets a private eye who's telling him, no, she's not. And he still won't believe it. And then Jessica asks if he saw Elmo ever taking pills. And he says, yeah, he took them like peanuts. Sometimes he was so high, you could only see him on radar. Right. And Jessica says, well, did the family know? And he says, if the family didn't know, it's because they chose not to know. And Jessica says, oh, was that obvious? He's like, yeah, it was. So the next scene, we're at Amos's house and Harold is outside trying to fix the vehicle. He has the hood up. I don't know what the issue is. And I'm like, y'all drove all the way from Kentucky to Maine? Like thousands of miles. Yeah, thousands of miles for sure. And so... Cooped up in that car with all those people. Oh God, that had to be terrible. But you know what? They're terrible people. So I don't care. Good. I hope it was a terrible trip. (laughs) Anyway, so Jessica is like, oh, it looks like you're getting ready to leave. And basically she brings up the fact that based on Winnie's description of Elmo's mood swings, he was definitely chemically dependent on something and that Harold as a pharmacist should have recognized it. And maybe he did and just ignored it. Right. And we find out from Harold now that they went inside and I was like, Jessica, you're very trusting, but it is Amos's home. So I've, you know, it's not a familiar place to Harold either. So I could see. So we find out from Harold that Elmo started abusing alcohol at the age of 11 because he was trying to forget something. And we don't know. We don't know what abuses he suffered prior to starting to abuse moonshine back at 11 and eventually turning to alcohol and drugs, but that basically the family just worked around it, right? So Harold then puts this alcoholic mix together and gives it to Jessica and says, oh, this should be in a tall glass, but this is all that Amos has. And Jessica has a glass epiphany. At this point, when she says the glass, Kenny, who has come out of literally nowhere, just materialized. He's like, what about the glass? And Jessica is like, oh, nothing, nothing. And Kenny's like, you remembered something. She's like, yeah, I have cookies baking and they're going to be burnt to a crisp if I don't get out of here now. Okay, bye. But Kenny refuses to let her leave. 
And Harold is confused. He's like, what? just let her go. Like, what are we even doing here? Like, this is crazy. And so Jessica comes out with it. And she says that Kenny is the one who murdered Elmo. And this is how it was done. Kenny was the first customer of Harold's and he got a double bourbon on the rocks and it was put in a short glass. Harold says, yes, a short glass is for drinks on the rocks. She's like, yes. But later he had a tall glass of something. We, we know it's be ginger. Well, we, he said it was ginger ale, but a tall glass of something. And Harold was like, wait, a tall glass. I didn't serve that to you. And Kenny says, no, I got it myself. And Harold's like, well, then what happened to the bourbon? And Jessica says, well, he gave it to Elmo after he doctored it with crushed up phenobarbital pills. And he also put some of the crushed pills in my chowder. At this point, Kenny pulls a switchblade, which is tiny, but I will say this, that there's a whole theory that people are more afraid of knives of any size than they tend to be of like guns because people, everyone has cut themselves at some point. Not everybody's been stabbed, but they've been cut at some point and you understand like the pain that comes from just being cut. So you have an idea of how terrible being stabbed would be right? You can make that leap easily. But if you've never been shot, you're like, okay, this is going to be terrible if I'm shot. I could die. But there's just more of a reality to being stabbed. So I'm like, there's two of them and he got a switchblade. You could clearly overpower him. But because there's an innate fear of being stabbed from people, you know, this really kind of immobilized them. But then we have Marigold come to the rescue. So Kenny is all like, I'm smart enough to know that this company's mine now. And Marigold just walks in the door. And it's like, who's the person who owns the car that's parked illegally in front of the fire plug? What? Pulls out her gun like, freeze, turkey. (laughs) She said turkey. (laughs) Ah, I can't. And so she's like, oh, wow, two busts in one, one day, did she say? Um, I re- I'm really starting to like this job. <laughs> Girl, we love you too. Um, so obviously Kenny is then arrested. So the last scene, we are at the bus depot at Cabot Cove. And Winnie is leaving and Flo... And Harold are not taking the bus. I guess perhaps they're going to drive back to Kentucky because they're the only ones left to run the business because Elmo is dead. And so technically, the company should go to Winnie, right? But Winnie's not trying to go back to Kentucky. I don't know. Anyway, so Winnie's getting on the bus and she meets Ed. And she's like, do I know you? And he's like, oh, I'm the private investigator your husband hired. She's like, oh, okay, no. Like, I believe in paying debts. You'll get every cent that you're owed. Don't worry about it. And so Ed's like, oh, you know, it's fine. We can talk about this on the ride back. Where they're going, I have no idea. I think they're both going back to Kentucky because he's 
a private investigator out of Kentucky, but don't he have a car? He had a yellow vehicle. Why wouldn't he just offer to drive her back? Maybe he rented the car. I don't know. Anyway, so Winnie is like, uh, Mr. Bellamy, are you a drinking man? To which Ed says, oh, no, I never touch the stuff. And so Winnie's like, oh, hey, do you like the window seat or the aisle? And so she then gets on the bus and he like straightens his collar and gets on the bus as well. And Amos is like, well, why would she want to talk to him? And Jessica and Seth are like, oh my gosh, okay. He completely missed that she trying to get husband number two. Okay. <laughs> All right, girl. Uh, don't let grass grow under your feet. But I guess since she wasn't going to be a recurring character, her and Seth really couldn't be a thing. And I think that would just change the dynamic of Seth and Amos's relationship as well. So that wouldn't have been a good change. Like I'm kind of glad she left so that a romantic connection between Winnie and Seth can't happen. Um, But I wish that they had kept Marigold though, you know. I think just in the next episode, we're out. We're outside of Cabot Cove in the next episode, which is Harbinger of Death. So... Yeah, but when we're back in Cabot Cove, Marigold is just gone. Like, she's just gone. Like, nobody talks about her. She just never existed again. Like, materialized out of the atmosphere and just returned the same way without anybody addressing it. <laughs> anyway, so this is, well, that's that on that. That's the end of the episode. It is an episode that I do enjoy watching um, because Elmo dies. He's a terrible person, meaning that Winnie is completely free. So it's not just that she got a divorce from him. He's dead. So she doesn't have to look over her shoulder. She doesn't have to worry about any of that. Now, my question is, though, If she does inherit the company, which she should because she's his next of kin, she's his legal wife, right? What is going to, I'm sure Harold is going to be replaced. Well, I don't know if Harold was ever bad to her. You know what I mean? Like the half brother, he just turned a blind eye, but you know, I don't, I don't know if she would get rid of him necessarily, but Flo, she's definitely out the door. Like, And I don't know how she's going to pay for Kenny's um, lawyer and and things like that. But that's not our problem because the general manager was fired. So now she has, well, I can't say fired. He fired himself because he's now in custody in Maine for murder. So I'm wondering how that's going to play out. Like once she gets down there, is she going to hook up with Ed and they're going to make a go of it and take over the family business. Um, I don't know, but I wish them the best. Uh, I wish Flo the worst. Harold, take him or leave him. I don't know. He wasn't offensive to me in any way throughout this. He kind of was just like going along to get along. Uh, Marigold is a treasure. 
Grover. I don't know if we ever see that deputy again. If so, it's in the background. Okay. <laughs> Probably still struggling to type reports. And, you know, it was nice to get a little, well, one, to get to see Amos's home. It was a nice home. It was a three bedroom, just like well decorated. It definitely looked like a place that Amos Tupper would live, right? With the wood paneling and everything, but not too dark. It was a good mix. Like I, I think that it was appropriately designed for that character. So being able to see that was nice and to see him with his younger sister, a little bit more about his family, that's always good. I always like when we get a peek into the lives of those who are friends of Jessica. So all the way around a great episode, there was, like I said, just a sprinkling of domestic violence involved in this. But I think that they didn't dwell on it. They kind of like interwove it in, but didn't focus on it, but gave a bit of truth in the sense that although Winnie was ready to leave, she still was in a place where she blamed herself, which in reality happens. So that they treated that, I think they treated it very well um, and that with regards to Elmo and his family, that the family was dependent on him and allowed him to do whatever he wanted in order for them to be able to put food on their table, that even though he was treating Winnie terribly, whether they agreed with it or not, they were never going to say anything against Elmo because he was the person who controlled the company and their jobs. So that, on a separate note, that is very realistic that some people are able to get away with a lot of terrible, despicable behavior because they hold so much control over other people's lives and livelihoods that those people are going to support them to no end. So, you know, I don't know what Flo's deal is, but she's better off without Kenny and definitely without Elmo. So, you know, maybe she won't be a terrible person after she's shaken loose from this family. Even though she's, that was her brother, she still has Harold. And I think like Harold has, is a decent person. Uh, He didn't give me a reason to think he wasn't. So, you know, maybe there'll be better people now that the toxicity is gone. So hopefully so. Anyway, like I said, a great episode. And our next episode will be Harbringer of Death. It's with regards to a comet, a faked death, just, you know, some intrigue, some science, a telescope, okay? <laughs> like, like NASA light. But um, yeah, so it's, I can't say it's a favorite episode of mine, but it's fine. It's it's a fine episode. But once I have to write notes, we'll find out whether it's a yay, a nay, or just an okay. <laughs> right? 
So until next time, you can find me on Instagram at the Fletcher Files Pod on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook at the Fletcher Files Pod Facebook page. And of course, you can find me on Patreon, link in the description box, okay? So until next time, promise me you will have an amazing two weeks and I will do the same. Until then, bye.